early service comes strolling in at the very end. And uh, however did this morning, any of you? We had a few in the early service come strolling in at the very end. And uh, however it is you made it in, any of you? We had a few in the early service come strolling in at the very end, and uh, however it is you made it in, I'm glad you're here. Most of us lost an hour sleep last night. I hope you don't make it up during church today, all right? Get a nap this afternoon, and we'll all be back on track tomorrow, but uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this message with you today. I had uh, a phone call not too long ago from a friend of mine that pastors a church in San Diego, good church there in San Diego, and, and he called me. We were just getting the new year started, and, and he called me, and he said, Steve, uh, listen, we, we've had these, these gatherings with pastors in our county. We'll get together for lunch. We'll talk about ministry. And he said, you never come to these meetings. You never come to these lunches. And he was kind of crabby with me about it, a little bit upset with me. And, and he, he kept telling me, and you, you've just never come. You never are a part of these. And I thought, um, I know that. I would have known had I been there. I knew I wasn't there. This, this was not accidental. I, I, I just had never come, and, and I knew that. And, and, uh, and, and I thought he was going to go on to say, you really should come so these guys could get to know you. And that's not at all what he said. He said, you need to come because you need friends like this in your life. He said, I think it would be good for you, and you, and you need to be there. And, and as he was going on and on, I, I thought as he was speaking, I thought, well, I have friends. I don't need to go to a meeting to have friends, you know. And, and I thought, frankly, that one more thing to do. I, I could do without that. I don't need to go to a meeting. And, and uh, then I was thinking, you know, I'm not sure I like this guy's tone, being just a little bit bossy, you know. And, and uh, so he, he kept going, and finally he persuaded me. He said he would pay for my lunch, and they were going to Olive Garden, and I like their breadsticks. And so I said, all right, I'll go. <laughs> and uh, I remember I went to the lunch that day, and, and uh, it was a bunch of pastors. How many of you figured out sometimes pastors like to talk? You observe these things? Okay, very good. Well, I'm the exception to that rule. I'm a quiet guy, believe it or not. So we get together for lunch, and everyone's sitting around there talking and talking about building programs and what they're preaching and, and things that are going on. And, and uh, I was being quiet. Quiet comes easy for me. I don't have to work at it. It's, it's natural. Never one time in my life has my silence been misquoted. I've learned this lesson, okay? So I was sitting there very quiet, and they're talk, 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 talking. I'm being quiet. And uh, in my mind kind of drifted in the midst of all this, and I heard a question, and it just immediately brought me back. The question was, so Steve, what are you learning in life right now? And when I heard that question, I thought, this is exactly why I hate lunches like this, you know? <laughs> you get around, everyone talk, talk, talks, and they ask you weird questions. And, and uh, when that question was asked, uh, I just kind of, the answer just came right out. Have you ever just by accident been brutally honest before? <laughs> I mean, if you'd have been able to think about it, you would have framed it a little bit differently. But, but in a moment of pressure, and I felt the pressure, uh, I, I just I, I felt uncomfortable. And when that question was asked, the chatter died down, and I felt like every eye was on me. And so, what are you learning? And, and the reality, the reality in that moment is, I really was learning some things in life. We had just kind of turned the page on a new year, and I was reading a book. I think the title was "How to Get Things Done." And as I was reading that book, I thought I should know this stuff by now at this point in life. And and what I was learning and what I said that surprised me was this. I said, I'm learning how much it is I still need to learn. And there's a part of me that thought, oh, great. Now all these guys know that I don't know everything, you know. And you guys have long known that, but I had yet to tell this group that I didn't know everything. And, and I don't know why. It was kind of embarrassing. And in that moment, I was just shocked. I couldn't believe I even said that. And it kind of came out sideways. And, you know, I got a few uh, interesting looks my way. I think it can be good for us this morning just to get it out of the way right up front that none of us knows it all. 
Let's not put on airs. Let's not play that game, at least in this room. Let's be real with one another and, and, and readily admit that, that we've all got a lot to learn. You see, when Jesus Christ spoke of the Christian life, he used an analogy, and the analogy was of being born again, of, of being born into his family, and if you're born, you're born as a baby. And, and so Jesus said, when you become a believer, there's a big margin for growth. Even the Apostle Peter, he talked about new believers, how they should desire the word like a little baby would desire a bottle. And, and so we find these, this uh, picture, this analogy in the Bible that, that once we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we've answered the greatest question in all the world, right? We've found the information that changes everything, but it doesn't mean that we know everything. We've entered into the truth. But we don't know all there is to know about the truth. As we have seen the Apostle Paul in the midst of this study in the book of Philippians, he was being held captive in Rome. He wanted to be with this church he loved in Philippi, about 800 miles away, but being under house arrest, he couldn't possibly be there. His heart was with him. And so he sees to it that the book of Philippians is written. And as we're going through this study, we've called Enjoy. This whole book is really uh, has an attitude of joy. The first chapter, he helps us to see really what joy is. How do you get joy? And, and he, he shows us in that chapter, it's, it's found in relationships. And first of all, it was, it was found in his relationship with Jesus Christ. But then he talked about his brothers and sisters in the family of God, the family of faith. They brought joy to his life. And, and he developed that thought for us. And, and uh, then he went on in chapter two, he helped us to see how it is that we could share joy with others. And how important that is. If you have anybody in your life you care about, you'd love to encourage them in any way possible. And Paul went on in chapter 2 to let us know how to do that. We've just started our study here in chapter 3. And it's in this third chapter that Paul shares with us how it is that we can grow in joy for our whole life. For our whole life. And I want to do that. How many of you have ever met someone who lived a long time and they were really crabby? <laughs> okay. But every now and then you'll meet someone and they've got joy. And they're growing in it. And, and that's how we all should want to be. Now, having a relationship with God, it brings joy. It brings joy. But there is enough room in the truth of salvation to allow us to grow for a lifetime without ever reaching the limit. And Paul understood that. If you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing. We're going to look to the text together. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. I shared with you last week there was really no good place in the book of Philippians chapter 3 to stop reading. But we took a vote. Nobody wanted a two-hour sermon, so we just had to arbitrarily stop in verse 6. How many of you are glad we did that, huh? A few of you are good, honest ones, wonderful. And uh, so we're going to begin reading today in, in verse 7. But to bring us up to speed, in the verses uh, before this in this chapter... Paul had given us his resume in life. He told us about his family, his heritage, his lineage, a little bit about his education, some things he was good at. He told us about the best he had to offer in himself. Verse 7 says this, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, I love that statement. I mean, Paul was just a master with words. And I love the way he talked about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
for whom, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now I'm going to read on, but in the beginning of verse 9, Paul says this, and be found in him. The him there is Jesus Christ. Now, if you're listening, this is like peculiar wording. It's it's unusual, Um, but it's it's important that we at least take note of that and that we come back and and begin to understand it more as as we read on. Verse 10, Paul said this, speaking of Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'd like for you, if you would, please, to look back in the midst of verse 8, and there's an expression just about in the middle of that verse where Paul says this, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Uh, If we were to wonder, Paul, how is it that you from prison, essentially, how is it that you, in that situation, could write a letter about joy, and in the midst of that letter, tell us how to have joy for a lifetime and grow in joy for a lifetime, uh, Paul would say, well, it's because of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He makes this possible. And I want us to think on that together today. Lord, I love you. I'm grateful for this morning. Uh, Bless this study. Uh, may, May we all be helped because of it. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All of us have a view of ourselves. All of us have a way of looking at our lives. And if someone were to ask you, tell me about yourself, we'd all have some some things to say. And sometimes in the quiet part of our hearts, the part that we don't often express, we have some, some images, some pictures of ourselves. I've talked to adults who as children had someone say, you're dumb or you're ugly or you're a loser. And I've talked to people who, who years before had an experience like that who still maintained an image of themselves because there was someone in their life who kind of reinforced that, that negative image. I've, I've talked to other people that, that had positive thoughts because there were those earlier in their life who said good and encouraging types of things. But regardless of whether an image that one may have of themselves was positive or negative, The Apostle Paul said, I choose to look at my life and see myself not as how you see me, not even as how I would look at myself if left to my own devices. Paul said this, I want to look at my life through the eyes of God. I want to see myself as God sees me. And that's how Paul chose to look at himself. He wanted to see himself the way his heavenly father saw him. Now, Paul knew he was not perfect. He tells us that in these verses in no uncertain terms. In fact, he tells us over and over and over in this passage that he's not perfect, he hasn't arrived. But he knew this much. He knew that his worth in life was connected to his birth in his spiritual life. 
His worth was connected to his birth. And Paul knew that because of faith placed in Jesus Christ, that he'd been born again spiritually. And so Paul looked at himself. He, he could see any number of things. But when he looked at himself based on what Jesus Christ had done, as he looked at himself through the eyes of God the Father, he had to understand that when he was born again spiritually, he was born into the family of God, and that God the Father is the God of all of the universe. And Paul said, that means I'm a child of the King. And whatever it is that I have going for me or going against me, what I choose to see is the fact that through faith in Christ, I've been born again. I'm in God's family. That was his heart. That was his, his understanding. Paul makes some remarks in this text to help us see how we can grow in, in uh, our understanding of joy and our understanding uh, of salvation. He wants us to, to see why he, in such a tough situation, could just continue continue and continue to grow in joy if you have your notes nearby and i hope you do i'd like for you to write a few of these thoughts down this morning i want us to see first of all if we were to say paul how is it that you grew in joy throughout a very difficult life i think paul would say this first of all he'd say well i know who i am i know who i am now, in our previous study, Paul highlighted his ancestry and his heritage and his, his education and his accomplishment. But when we begin looking to our text, Paul, Paul says this. This is how it all started today in our reading. He said, but what things were gained to me, what was gained? His background, his heritage, his ancestry, his lineage, his, all those types of things, his pedigree. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost, for Jesus Christ. Paul said this, I want you to know that the criteria by which I evaluate myself is no longer a criteria that our world or that I myself put together. I want to view myself through the lens of God's love. I want to see myself as he sees me. And, and so he could be encouraged along the way. And so he said, the things that were gained, I counted loss for Christ. He went on to say this as, as we continue looking in the text. He said, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Let me tell you what Paul said here. He said, uh, listen, there's nothing in this world as good as of having the knowledge of Christ Jesus, of knowing that he is my Lord. There's nothing better than that. It's, it's excellent, he would say. He said, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul does a lot of counting in this passage of Scripture. And so he's telling us here that there was a time in his life and a big part of time in his life where he found in his identity, his, his self-worth from where he had come from and from what he knew and from what he had accomplished. But all of those things were things that tied his identity to himself. And Paul learned in the course of life that if our joy is connected to self, it's not going to go very far. But if we connect our joy to that which Jesus has done for us, it can spread exponentially. And so Paul counted it all up, all he thought he had to offer, all his heritage, all his education, all his experiences, he counted it all up. And he weighed all that he could produce in himself against all that Jesus offers. And he came to the conclusion that in comparison, the best he could produce was as loss. In fact, Paul uses a word, and it's interesting. I told you Paul, uh, just he had such a mastery of the language. As you study even the New Testament writers, it was all inspired by God. 
but the writers all use their personalities. John, for example, uh, wasn't quite as ornate in his, in his words as Paul. Paul obviously was, was schooled, and, and so he, he would use these beautiful words, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, and then, and then he throws right in there the word dung. And if you're looking for a beautiful definition of the word dung, I don't have one for you, okay? It just means dung, and that's, that's all that means. Why would Paul, who had such a mastery of the language, throw a base word like that in there? Obviously, he's making a point. And Paul said, listen, I think of the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. And he said, in comparison, anything that I can produce in comparison to Jesus Christ, I count it as loss. Is dung. It doesn't measure up. It can't compare. There's, there's, there's no comparison there. Paul learned in his life to find his identity in Jesus and Jesus alone. In his letter to the Romans, we, we read this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. He said, For the law of the Spirit and, uh, of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So here's Paul living in prison. We would all say, You are not free, Paul. And Paul would say, No, I want you to know because of Christ. I always feel liberated. I'm always free. I am always where he would have me to be. I find comfort in that. I find solace in that. And so he understood to find his identity based on who he was in in Christ. He gave up his old accounting system. And he won in the end because he had a relationship with God. This didn't mean he hated his story. It didn't mean he disliked his family. It didn't mean he was no longer a Jew or that he renounced renounced his Roman citizenship. But it did mean that he realized he was completely accepted by a God who knew him and a God who loved him. Now, it's interesting. Most young people think they're special. Now, I know we're all special in a sense, but in another sense, we're all pretty ordinary. We're all pretty typical. Uh, You guys aren't better than me. I'm not better than you. I mean, at the end of the day, people are, are people and and young people tend to think that not only they're special, but their family's special. Now, I know they're special to them, and I understand that, but families are families are families. And I remember growing up, I, I knew our family wasn't perfect, but my, my whole life revolves around my family. I, I thought, we're special, we're unique, we're different. Now, I remember my dad making a statement when I was growing up. He said, son, if you were to shake our family tree, nuts would fall out. Okay, that's what he said. And uh, he's right. I found out there are nuts in our family tree. I may be one of them. I've yet to fall out, but it, it's possible. Uh, it, it would be foolish of me to find pride in my family. I didn't do anything to become a part of my family. I was just born. And spiritually, that's how it is. We're born again into God's family. And, and so our identity in life, it's not just tied to an earthly family, it's tied to a heavenly, a heavenly one. And, and with all the hurts and habits and hang-ups, it's good to know I'm a child of God, and I hope you know that you're a child of God. And we could say, Paul, listen, you're sitting there in jail. Why are you so happy? Paul would say, well, I know who I am. I am not at all who they are telling me I am. I'm not who they think I am. I'm not who they are accusing me to be. I know who I am, and I'm a child of God. Paul would go on, secondly, to tell us this, and I know what I have. I know what I have. Now, Paul gave up a lot for Jesus, but he he got far more in return. If we were to go on in the passage in verse 9, he helps us to understand some things. He said this, he said, and be found in him, that is in Jesus, not having mine own righteousness, you'll remember that was loss. He said it's dung. 
All right, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Now, of the law, what's that all about? The Mosaic law. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a, a, a teacher of the law. He knew the law. And Paul said, I've tried to get my own righteousness. That's called self-righteousness. He said, I've become self-righteous by keeping the law. He goes on to say this, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul said, I want to be found in Jesus so that I can have his righteousness because any righteousness I produce is self-righteousness. And that just doesn't get the job done. Self-righteousness is, is no good. And so he said, I want to have the righteousness that comes with Christ. Now, I don't want to sound irreverent today, but I want you to imagine if you could putting on a suit that was Jesus Christ. Now, just work with the word picture. You, you, you enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You're in Him. Imagine, if you would, that, that you're wearing a Jesus Christ suit. You're inside of it. You're in Him. And when others look at you, they have to see you first through Jesus Christ. Imagine God the Father looking at you as you are in the Son. And we think He could look at me, and He knows all that I've done wrong. He knows the thoughts. He knows the things that I think no one else has seen. He sees everything. But you see, when God the Father sees us as a righteous judge, He has to see us through the payment that Jesus made to our account. And so when He sees us in Christ, He sees us as perfectly righteous, as acceptable, as loving, and Paul realized in life that self-righteousness is full of holes, but when you're in Christ, it's, it's like a bulletproof outfit. The hurtful things still come, the difficulties still come, but they need not stick when you know what you have. Now, what did Paul have? He had the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We find that in that verse, but he went on to let us know that uh, there were some other things that he had. He had a personal relationship with him. I mean, just listen to this word. This is Paul. He said this, that I may know him. He said, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. And what's interesting to me about that is the fact that Paul, Paul had met Jesus. But he was saying this. Please hear me. He, he was saying, I don't want to just know Jesus in some institutional way. I don't want to know Jesus in a book learning type of way. I don't want to know Jesus in some religious type of a way. I don't just want to know of Jesus what I hear the pastor say or the small group teacher say or the other brothers and sisters in Christ say. He was saying, I want to have a personal, intimate, close and growing relationship with God the Son, Jesus Christ. He had a personal relationship. He goes on in that same verse to let us know he had fellowship with Jesus. All right, after saying that I may know him, he goes on to talk about the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, this is what Jesus wants us to know. It was personal. It was, it was also painful. He said, I want to know Jesus really well. And most people say, that sounds great. But Paul said, I want a fellowship with his sufferings. In other words, he said, I, I want to know what Jesus loved and I want to know what he didn't love. And I want to know what brought joy to his life and I want to know what brought pain to his life. And Paul said, I want to be personally acquainted with the very things Jesus suffered for. I want to suffer in my life for the same things that Jesus suffered for in his life. It was a personal relationship, but it was a painful relationship at times. Paul said, that's how grateful I am for my Savior. I want to live for the things that he lived for. And I want to suffer for the things that he would, he would suffer for. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, Paul already gave us this truth. 
He said this, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. You see, this was key to Paul's understanding. He said that suffering in life was given. It was a gift. It was a blessing. It was a benefit. There was a purpose to it all. I think of James, the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one that said this. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, Paul, like James, they had this understanding that sufferings in our lives become an asset when we are in Him. What the sufferings do and the trials and the difficulties do is they help to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. They allow us to look more and more like Jesus. Now, most of us don't like suffering. And I think there are times in my life when I am forced to exercise that I would equate that to suffering a little bit, all right? Well, you'd say, why would anybody volunteer themselves to exercise? What a drag. It's terrible. There's a reason I would volunteer to put myself in a situation like that. It's that my image would be conformed. I have another image in mind I'm going for. I want to look like something different. <laughs> I've got it all down but the green. Okay, that's all I'm lacking so far. That's enough of the Hulk. You can put him away now. Thank you. But I, I think we'd understand that on a physical level. There's nothing fun about lifting a weight or jogging or doing a sit-up or a push-up or any of those other things, but we'll volunteer ourselves to that stress so that our body can be conformed to fit into uh, the image we might see someplace else. Well, the Bible tells us that as we go through things in life, even the fellowship of His sufferings, that what happens is God uses those difficult times as gifts in our lives to shape us and conform us so that the longer we live as a Christian, the more and more our life looks and reflects Jesus Christ. I'm sure there were people in Paul's life who just couldn't believe what he gave up for Jesus. Paul, you gave all that up for Jesus? I mean, with your family connections, with your background, with all you know, with all your degrees? Paul, are you kidding me? And Paul would say, yeah, I gave it all up for Jesus. But he'd say, but I got far more in return. He said, I know what I have. And the final thought I want us to consider in this part of our study, I think Paul would say, not only do I know who I am and I know what I have, he would say this, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. There's something appealing about someone who has direction in life. They know where they're going, you know. And Paul had already told us this, that I may know him. He, he was looking forward to growing more in this knowledge of, of Jesus. In the final verses in our study, we, we see his heart more uh, in this regard. As we get down to the, to the final verses that we're going to consider today, he went on to say this, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus, he said, look, I'm not perfect. I haven't attained, but I want to attain and I want to apprehend. I, I want to live my life in a way where I am growing. And so he let everybody know and know in certain terms. I got a long way to go. He hadn't arrived. But what he was saying is this. When I got saved, God got a hold of my life. He apprehended me. And I want to spend the rest of my life getting a hold of this thing that's gotten a hold of me.
I know enough of this to be involved in a relationship with God, but I don't know enough of it to say I've got it all down pat. I want to grow. I want to get a hold of this thing that has gotten a hold of me. He was embracing the truth of salvation. He was talking about the commitment of a believer to live a gospel-centered life where we don't say, oh, Jesus, salvation, the gospel, I know that, but we have a heart that says, I want to learn more about my Savior every day. And I want to rejoice more in my salvation every day. And Paul could say, if life finds me sitting in a prison 800 miles removed from the people I want to be with, I'm going to sit right there in prison and I'm going to be happy because I know who I am. I'm a child of God. I know what I have. I have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And he would say, and I know where I'm going in my life. I had some great teachers in college. Um, I guess we'd say teaching's a gift. Absolutely it is. The Bible tells us that, I suppose. It's a gift. Um, But not all teachers have that gift, right? And I had some outstanding teachers. Um, As I was thinking about this, I I thought of one teacher that meant so much to me. He he passed away not too long ago. He had a, a knee operation. He came home and took a nap after a relatively simple knee operation and, and had a blood clot and just never woke up. And he was such a great teacher. And what I appreciated so much about Keith Kaiser was the fact that he was so passionate. He wasn't giving us information. I mean, he's like, do you understand what I'm teaching you guys? This will change your life and you can change the world. And he was just, it was so real to him. And um, in the college I went to, I was in a track for theology to to be a pastor, and, and so, of course, the classes I'm thinking of primarily were, were ones where I'm sitting around with a bunch of other guys that are studying to be pastors, and, and uh, one of the classes he taught was Greek, not, not an exciting topic. I mean, it's just work, you know, but he was so passionate about it, and he'd, he'd show us the different words, and, and uh, everything was fresh. He'd often talk about, I was just reading this, or I just talked to this person, or everything was so fresh. I, I had another teacher who was probably far and beyond more credentialed than, than Mr. Kaiser, you know. Uh, more than one PhD, this kind of thing. The guy was just an intellect extraordinaire. And he did a great job of just giving us information, no denying that. But it just seemed to be kind of dead facts when he would share something. I mean, when Mr. Kaiser would talk to us, I'm telling you, it absolutely just... It, it just stirred us. We'd leave that class like we'd just been to some revival meeting or something. We're all excited. And, and this other one, you know, if we made it through uh, to the end, someone would probably have to wake us up normally and say, hey, it's done. We can leave now, you know. And, and it was just dry. He knew a lot of stuff, but it just very little passion. I remember one day we were sitting in the coffee shop at college, and there was a bunch of us guys sitting there, and and uh, this particular teacher that I'm thinking of, he came in, and he, I, I really am grateful for his influence in my life. I learned a lot from him, but it was just interesting to me to see the different styles. He came in, he got some coffee, and he sat down with us, and we were glad about that. You know, here's the professor among the lowly plebeians, the, the students, you know, and so we thought we'd ask him some questions. And we knew some things about college. We knew you really don't go to college to learn stuff. Uh, you go to college to learn how to learn stuff. It's, it's really not about what you know. Most people, when they get done with college, are kind of bummed out. They still don't really know anything, you know. What you learn is how to learn, and, and we kind of had that understanding. And so I remember talking with this, with this uh, uh, man and, and asking him about his, 
personal study habits about what he was doing in life to still learn and grow. And, and I remember he made a statement, and this, this is what he said. He said, when I was a young man, I dug really deep wells so I don't have to dig much anymore. And that sounded really good, and it was kind of a poetic way of saying, I'm smart enough. I know enough. I did the work. I mean, I got, I got so many degrees and credentials after my name, you, just, you wouldn't even add them all. It's ridiculous how many accolades I've received. I know so much that I just no longer really need to learn anymore. Did you know I've learned in life there's always more to learn in life? We just never get to that point where we can say, hey, look at me, I've got it nailed down. And that's especially true in our spiritual lives. And one of the great enemies of joy, please hear me, one of the great enemies of joy in your life and in mine is when we get a complacent mindset because we think somehow we're better than we are and we know more than we know and we think we've become a self-professed expert and that complacency sinks in and we lose the joy of our salvation. Not only do we not know the answers, but many times we don't even know the questions. And I love Paul's attitude here. Now, I want you to listen to what it is that Paul says next in, in this part of our study. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And then he goes on to say, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Among other things, Paul was saying this. Don't put me on a pedestal. Don't worship me. Don't look at me like I'm different than you. Don't treat me like I'm something special. Paul would say, I want you to know, I'm just like you in many, many ways. Uh, I, I, I have not apprehended. I'm not perfect. I have not arrived. And, and, and it's good for us to remember, no one arrives in this life. We live in a world that's obsessed with celebrities. People are famous today for having done nothing. Maybe they're born into a famous family or something, but it's like, wow, what did they do to, you know, get, get 100 million followers on, on this or that? And, and we'd say, well, they didn't do anything. They're not good at anything. They just, they're rich, and somehow they got famous, and we love celebrities today. But even sometimes in the church, we like celebrities on the big scale, in the local church scale. And we want to lift people up just a little bit above everybody else, way below God, but a little bit up from everybody else. And, and we want to revere people as, as though they're, they're something that everyone else is not. And the fact is, we are all a work in progress. And the awareness of our need for growth is not a sign of weakness, but of strength. Now, let me tell you why I love that the Apostle Paul told these people over and over. Look, I haven't arrived. I got more to go. I love that he said that over and over and over. If he was a man who is seeking to gain praise for himself, to gain followers to himself, he would have never said that stuff. But if he, from a heart of sincerity, wanted to be the type of person that helped others, he said, let me be transparent and let you know. Man, I haven't arrived, I haven't attained, I've got more pressing to do, I've got to move forward. And I love the fact that Paul boiled it down to one thing. He was determined to leave his past behind him and press toward the mark. And if you were to ask Paul, Paul, so where is it you're going? He would say this, forward, not backward. I'm not revisiting the past. I'm going forward. And I love that spirit in Paul. I'm going to move ahead. He had a plan for growth in his life. Peter talked about this a little bit in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. He said this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Look here, friends. It matters not how long you've been a Christian. 
It matters not if you're a brand new Christian. If you're here today and you're not even a Christian, we'll get to that in a minute. But if you're a believer, it doesn't matter how long you've known Jesus. There's still room to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you know Jesus, you know joy. And what thwarts our growth in, our, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ is somehow thinking, well, I'm saved, I know that, and that's good. And, and, and we, we never take it any any deeper there was so much that paul did not know there was so much that was a mystery to him but he knew jesus he knew he was saved from sin he knew he was saved to a relationship with god that would last forever as he wrote to a young pastor by the name of timothy in second timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 listen to what paul said he said for the which cause i also suffer these things nevertheless i'm not ashamed for i know whom i have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul would say, let me tell you why I suffer these things in my life. Why I can take a licking and keep on ticking. Let me tell you why it is I keep going when the, when the suffering times uh, come. It's because I know whom I've believed. I know him. Furthermore, he said, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We'd say, well, Paul, what did you commit to him? He'd say everything. My life, my eternity, my soul. I've committed all of that to him against that day. What day? That day, the last day when my physical life is done. And so I'm going to keep moving forward with each step in life because that day is coming. And I know whom I have believed. I know Jesus Christ. And I'm persuaded that he can keep everything I've given over to him. He'll do just fine in that regard. That was his heart. Paul knew who he was. He knew what he had. He knew where he was going but he also knew that when that day came, that's when he would step from physical life. And in a sense, the moment someone accepts Christ, they're, they've entered into eternal life. But, but he knew that time would come where he kind of crossed that threshold into life eternal. He understood that. And, and as he thought of eternity, it gave him great perspective and clarity in this life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul adds this. He said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, I think, I think the question Paul would say, you've got to nail down if you have any desire in your life to grow in joy would be, do you know for sure that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ? Now look here and we'll be done in just a moment. Often I'll ask people, do you know for sure if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? How many of you heard me ask that question before? <laughs> what I love about that question is it just cuts to the heart of the matter, you know. It's, it's the old country expression, plain talk is easily understood. I, th I think that statement really just, it cuts to the heart of the matter. It was that statement that kind of brought me to my spiritual senses where I had to be confronted with that. Man, when you put it that way. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd spend eternity in heaven? And, and I've asked many people that, and, and the response has been, well, no. And some have said, well, I don't think you can know. But, but, but the reply in general, if it's in the negative, is no, I just I don't know for an absolute certainty. Now, I've asked some people that question who've had a religious background, maybe come from a Christian family, what have you. They've been to church, and some who've even prayed a prayer of some kind, and I'll say, do you know for sure if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity in heaven? These are people that have been in and around the church, and, and, and maybe they had some kind of a religious experience, but they still reply, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. 
The Apostle Paul would say this today. He'd say there's just no good reason to go through your life without knowing for sure. There's just no good reason. Now listen, I'll tell you, if, if salvation was of our own good works, like you've got to keep these rules and do that and give this offering and get baptized over there, and if salvation was about doing enough, we would never have any peace because we would never know if we'd done enough. So we'd never have any peace. If keeping salvation once we were saved were up to our, weeks, up to our works, it'd be the same thing. I'd be stressed out all the time because I'd just never be sure, you know? How many points are deducted for a bad thought, you know? Have I done enough good? And we'd never be sure. Paul says we can go through life and say, I know, and I'm persuaded, and I'm convinced. And the more you know about Jesus and salvation, the more thankful and joyous we can become. And so, the million-dollar question, do you know? Pastor, what do you mean by do you know? I mean, do you have an absolute assurance? Well, nobody can know. We haven't seen God. No, I know. Like Paul said, I want to know him. You can know that you've been born again by faith into the family of God, that you're trusting him. And that's the foundation, that's the basis for a life that grows in joy. All right? If it weren't for God, bad times should get us down. But Paul said, I've learned that all these things, it conforms me to his image. I, I can look like the spiritual Hulk as I go through these things. I look more and more like Jesus as I go through these things. Let's think on this together. Our